Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This week on Around the Coin, we're joined by CEO of Knox Payments, Tommy Nicholas, telling us his strategy to kill Visa and MasterCard. Also, we'll be discussing the $2.6 billion acquisition of OpenTable and the stunning move by David Marcus to quit PayPal and build Facebook's next-generation payment platform. All right, guys. Uh, welcome to Around the Coin podcast. We have a special guest on the show today. Uh, Tommy Nicholas will be joining us from Knox Payments. Um, we're excited to have him on the show, so we'll be covering about half the show with him and then later news uh, for the second half. Tommy, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great Good to, to have, have you here. Great to have you. So, Tommy, what is Knox Payments? It's a very good question. Um, so, Knox Payments is a brand new way to pay for things and to initiate ACH transfers online using nothing but online banking. So, instead of having to put in your account and routing number and then maybe verify uh, the ownership of that account one way or another, either through online banking or through micro deposits, all you have to do is log into your online banking. We show you your accounts. You choose one, you press pay, and that's it. Um, and so it saves people. It saves. Uh, it saves people a lot of time in terms of making payments, and it saves merchants a lot of money because we're able to charge only eighteen cents per payment. Hmm. Interesting. And how how long have you guys been around? So we came out of uh, we came out of stealth in um, February, and we just came out of closed beta in. Um, Let's see. About about two weeks ago. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I mean, tell me a little bit of the backstory. What? Uh, how'd you get into this? I mean, everyone's got a backstory in payments. No one, you know, I think as opposed to other industries, no one's born loving payments. How'd you get into it? Yeah. Well, so I personally have no background in payments, just like so many other people. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that there's not a lot of disruption in this industry is that people feel very intimidated uh, going into payments. Um, my co-founder is actually a fintech guy. So he was doing a P2P startup about two years ago. And basically, it was kind of going to be like a Venmo thing, you know, like onboard, you've got a little wallet, you're going to send money to other people, um, that kind of thing. And they had they built this beautiful app, this beautiful experience. I came in to see it. And I, I came in a bit, about two years ago in the middle of an argument of like, how do we get people to get their money, their real money, into this wallet? 
right? We don't want to charge a lot of fees when people are moving money around. Um, you know, so we, we want to do it directly from their bank accounts, but nobody wants to put, nobody wants to put their account and routing number in. Nobody wants to do any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, how are we going to do it? So Thomas was saying, what if we could just have them log into their online banking? The team was saying, no, nobody will ever do that. And I, I was like, look, if we can have people move money just by logging into online banking, there's a whole lot of things that we could do with this. Um, six months later, that company, you know, went under and we decided to go, you know, we decided to go this route. Hmm. So Tommy, I think it's really interesting for people to learn how to go from zero to something significant, like where you guys are now. Uh, how did you, how did you guys literally meet? How did you go from quitting your previous life's work of what were you doing before this? I was, uh, I was actually, I ran a startup uh, coming right out of college and then I was doing consulting and doing projects with friends. Like I did something called coffeeactivity.com that plays ambient coffee shop noise. Um, millions of people use that. It makes, you know, it, it is, it is beyond me why they do, but it is a really popular thing. So a couple of little things like that. Um, but I was building like mobile apps and, and, you know, um, you know, just basic, just things for, for clients and I decided to leave that life because I saw the potential of being able to actually have access to your money with a username and password that you already know. And I thought that that would be, um, I thought that in an ideal world, you know, there's a lot of hurdles, but that in an ideal world, that's how it should be. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be a part of that. So, now, Tommy, what, what, what would be a perfect scenario for you, for somebody using Knox? I mean, when you thought about it, when it was coming up in your mind, what was that scenario? I mean, you saw a smartphone, you saw a merchant, or did you see another person, person-to-person payments? What, what yeah. drove you? Absolutely. The number one thing that, that I want people to eventually do is when, the mo- when mobile commerce is growing, we want people to be able to pay with Knox. Because the thing is, if I – you know, card abandonment is 75% online, but it's much, much higher on phones because if I'm going to buy something and then I've got to put in my credit card number, my, my, you know, um, all the information that I need for a credit card. And then I have to put in my billing address and then I have to put in my shipping address. I almost don't care what it is that I'm buying. I'm, I'm out. I I don't want to do that. And then second of all, the fact that the merchants are going to get charged 3% and 30 cents just for the convenience of losing all of their customers. uh, I think that sounds horrible. Um, so the ideal, the ideal scenario was, would be somebody is, you know, out, they decide they want to buy something, they click buy, they put in two fields, username and password. And that's literally all they need to do. Because I don't know if I've mentioned this, but Knox can also get name, account, email and phone number, name, address, email and phone number from your bank. So we get your actual home address, um, about 90% of the time when you log into your online banking, exactly right. So all you need to do is press OK, and the merchant has all the information they need to make a purchase. Um, so we're not only going after the fee structures associated with uh, payments, but we're going after card abandonment um, in the long run as well. Now, that income and that MCOM thing isn't really the market that we're attacking head on at the moment, but it's where we want to be um, when you look at us five years out. So I had a question, and everyone's pretty pretty familiar with ACH and, you know, the pitfalls associated with it. How right. do you, what's, what's your unique selling point here? I mean, I understand that you somehow drive, explain to us what exactly happens when one signs up with Knox. I mean, how does it make it easier? Absolutely. So when somebody uh, becomes a merchant, 
they they simply give us a little bit of basic information and then log into their online banking to verify ownership of their ACH account. So it's really easy to set up a merchant account. But the most important thing for merchants is what happens when their when their customers buy from Knox, which is that we not only initiate an ACH transfer, but we verify the funds, right? So we say we are the first verified good funds ACH. Um, when when Knox says that a transfer is going to go through, the transfer will go through just like Visa. You know, Visa's big selling point is, hey, merchants, if somebody finishes a transaction with with Visa, you're going to get paid. And this exact same thing is true with Knox because we are able to check if the person who's paying has the money to make the transfer, probably will have the money to make the transfer. Um, their 90-day history, whether it's a new account, looks like a fraudulent account, um, we can do all of that. So once a transfer is finished with Knox, you're going to get paid. So Tommy, so, you're, um, actually, uh, you're actually an order of magnitude better than Visa because Visa has a lot of stipulations on a transaction. Um, yes, you get an authorization code, but there's repudiation and uh, potential uh, you know, customer remorse chargebacks that can uh, instill in the system. So right. you know, in a sense, uh, if the ACH is completed, uh, uh, a consumer is... Um, you know, has less of the ability to change their mind, and a merchant is more uh, uh, secured with funds. It's not one hundred percent until you move to like Bitcoin or cash, but right. uh, it's closer than Visa. And chargebacks yep. are a big issue for some industries. So, right, uh, and, and we're still that part. We're still regulation e compliant, so we do have to. We we are subject to chargebacks, but we've never had a chargeback on. We've never had a chargeback on our system, and chargebacks on ACH are extraordinarily low. We're hoping to move to a credit pull, uh, credit push system later on, um, which would not be subject to chargebacks, but right now we are. Um, but the difference between chargebacks for ACH, and this is even another layer on top of ACH, are about like one half of one-tenth of one percent, and sure. on credit cards, it's like one percent, which is crazy. <laughs> and Tommy, can you give us any... Um any any numbers in terms of the, the traction or success you guys have seen in terms of the total dollars processed or number of merchants or yeah absolutely so we have 350 businesses that have signed up to take payments with Knox and we're processing payments actively for you know about 10 percent of those um, we've um, are, we're growing about 20 percent week over week in terms of dollars processed and in terms of payments so we're growing steadily. Um, but we haven't hit. Uh, we're, we're still in the process of integrating some of the big home runs, which I, I can't necessarily talk about right now. Um, that are really going to take us to the next level. What we realized when we launched, and I think you're going to talk to if you guys have talked to a lot of founders of payment startups, um, you you'll have heard this before. But you can launch and you can get all the interest in the world. But payments happen in a variety of different environments. Nobody, no two systems are the same. And to be able to actually service customers. Um, Unless you're just unless you're facilitating an open API for developers, which is not what we do, uh, you're going to have problems because you know in the e-com world there's a hundred different shopping carts, and in the you know in the in the ACH transacting world there's you know a hundred different environments that people you know people need to be able to throw something into. So when we had the 350 people merchants sign up, um, about 80 percent of them expressed intent to integrate. And we were able to, on the first in the first week, integrate exactly zero of them. We had exactly zero. Uh, we had exactly none of what we needed to integrate out of 350 people, customer, 350 customers, because we didn't have shopping cart plugins. We didn't have you know all the API functions you could possibly want. Um, and so basically, our struggle for the last three months, and it's getting a lot better, 
is to provide those things for all of these businesses and come back and you know we have long lists of like when we have this thing hit these this group of customers back and we have this thing hit that group of customers back. So it, I would say coming out of the gate, the interest that we had, you know, having all these businesses sign up and having a tremendous amount of interest for some really huge businesses was awesome. The shocking thing to me was how difficult it is to actually get people up and running and taking payments on a new system. So I had a question. So uh, it is my understanding that you are using an aggregator-like situation where you enable the person who wants to pay to log into their bank account. So how many banks do you support? Do you support almost all the banks or is there a selective number that you're supporting right now? How does that work? Yeah, so we, we support 30, 30 banks. So we're, we've got the big, you know, the top top 10, the sort of the, the Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, U.S. Bank, USAA. Um, we've got those. And then we've got about 20 other banks that are, um, you know, in the top 100 that we've been able to make, you know, varying degrees of relationships with. Um, what's the stumbling block? I mean, what, what stops banks from wanting to be a part of this? Banks almost always want to be a part of this. The the stumbling block is that banks are horrible institutions in so many ways. In terms of the bureaucracy, it's very hard to get to decision makers. Um, so it took us a really long time. I mean, people on our board that are you know former CEOs of of banks um, that help us make those relationships. But once you get outside of like, okay, we're targeting these ten. You know, there's there's basically ten that um, in terms of volume. So once you're once you're not targeting those ten, and you say, okay, well now it's fourteen thousand. So which out of the 14,000 are we going to target next? Uh, it can be difficult. Uh, our goal is to integrate and, and make relationships with the core providers. We have some relationships with you know, the, the Fiserv's and the, the Jack Henry's of the world. Um, but our goal is to make um, unilateral agreements with all of their banks to, to basically get the rest of them. Um, and I think, that'll take us, I think that'll basically take us over the top in the next couple of years. Uh, if we can get you know four big core providers, one hundred instead of providing us data, which they do now, you know, one hundred percent on board. So, is it correct to say that the onboarding process is very easy, frictionless, almost? Uh, uh, one would assume that that's what Knox Payment is is hitting at right now. But I'm more interested to know how does the ACH settlement process work? Is that changed in any manner? Are you shortening the time motion diagram down to? two days or something like that? Or are you just barely providing the merchant with advanced analytics that the money is available, it will come through, the routing number and the bank account number is all correct, et cetera? Yeah, so that's mostly what we do. Our banking partner is confident um, is confident in our in our ACH files that we write. And usually um, we haven't had anybody not get their money within 72 hours, which has been really great. Um, settlements, we're actually, we're actually running a lot of next day settlements um, right now, test that out, but typical the typical transaction still takes 48 to 72 hours to clear. Um, but we know that we can do next day settlement. We know that next day settlement is going to be our future. Um, and in fact, we, we hope to do time settlement um, if we can if we can facilitate that. But you know, right now the infrastructure only supports next day next settlement. Added at the theoretical max. So, um, so, so when you say do. next day settlement, are you sort of fronting? Are you discounting in in technical terms? Uh, meaning, are you confident that the money is going to be available, so you loan your own money out and charge a small percentage for next day settlement? That's what we'll do. Right now, what we do is we just keep a holding account that is basically. Um, so when we want to do a next day settlement, it's, we just keep a holding account that we say to the bank, like 
if this doesn't go through, you can withdraw from our holding account, just ensuring the transactions. Um, in the future, we will have to actually float it. Um, but we believe because of the way that we do we do our business, that, that won't be um, a tremendous risk and we'll be able to underwrite and actually turn it into a profit center for both parties because the businesses will get the time value of the money and the uh, you know the ability to use their faster. And we'll be able to to um, to charge a small percentage um, for that. So that's where we think we can be. You know, what, what we really want to be is we want to only have people get easy access to their money and be able to onboard fast and have their customers be able to make payments without make accounts. But we also just want money to work the way that it should work. I mean, American consumers should have access to good funds based payments. I mean, that's something that should have happened a long time ago. And it exists in a lot of other countries. It just doesn't exist here. And we see the government or, or even NACHA moving to, to be able to actually facilitate that to happen. So the only way to really make money move quickly, efficiently, and accurately is to build a new system and build essentially a new rail um, that we're can be on par with the credit card rail, which is this verified funds ACH. And we hope we're not the only ones who do it because we think it's really important. You see um, online merchants or retail merchants as your primary target at this point? Online merchants, our primary target, actually, the, the, the people that are most likely to actually take payments with Knox at volume. Um, so the people who are the most interested is the e-com world, but the people who are most most likely to actually move the majority of their payments over at volume are people who are already doing ACH, so that's like developers. Um, but long-term, I would actually love to do, we would actually love to do retail. Um so there's a variety of ways we could go into that, but we're not doing, we are not doing it today, I guess, to answer your question. Um, but we think, you know, we think there could be, we believe that things like innovations in the retail space, like coin or even the target red card, um, have the ability to bring, so the target red card's already doing ACH transactions and giving people a discount for, for running it through the target red card. On the other hand, on the other side of coin, which is basically giving people the ability to, um, offload their you know their physical cards into a into one source when you look at when we look at those two innovations together future where there could be a um sort of coupled debit uh card that could actually get to the masses um and that person you know potentially we could power that card but right now online is our focus and actually developers is a huge um driver for our so, Tommy, how do you find these guys? How do how do you get in touch with the merchants? Uh, is it you guys reach out to them directly, or do they come in to you and come knocking at your doors? So far, they've mostly come knocking at our doors. We've been we've been fortunate to get a little bit of press that's been helpful. Um, uh, in, you know, in terms of the big guys, the guys that you know, some of the, the bigger integrations that we have, it all comes from personal relationships. It all comes from you know. Um, our, our head of partnerships in, in San Francisco is absolutely phenomenal. Her name is Laura Speakerman. She used to be with Copo Copo, which is doing, um, which is doing M-Pesa, um, basically do it, doing back office for people who are doing M-Pesa payments in Africa. And, you know, she's a rock star. She can, she can pretty much get to anybody, which is, which is a really huge benefit because we're in Richmond, Virginia. So we can't necessarily get to everybody. Huh, you're... Um, but in terms so tell me, what's yeah, the, what's the, what's the, why are you guys in Richmond, Virginia? Great question. We get that question a lot. Um, it's because it's where we live and uh, you know, there's a lot of benefit to being in Richmond. We may not be there forever, but right now it's working out. So the benefits are that 
it's sort of the second banking capital on the East Coast in terms of the HQs for the banks. So um, Charlotte, North Carolina is where the big HQs are for a lot of the banks, but the second place is Richmond, Virginia. So Capital One has its global headquarters in Richmond, Virginia. There's the second biggest Bank of America office, second biggest Wells Fargo. Um, so that's really beneficial. Uh, second thing is that it's a really, really affordable place to be. And there's a lot of really great talent. The highest concentration of quality university level talent outside of Boston is in the Richmond, Virginia, Richmond uh, is within 80 miles of Richmond. Um, so we, we can attract really great talent at a, at a really good price. And really, I mean, honestly, like the, and you know, founder, founder pay itself saves us a ton of money. So, um, you know, we have an office out in San Francisco now and we have an office in Richmond, Virginia, and it's working out. It's working out right now. I mean, like there are some advantages, but there's some detriments, which is that I'm not walking around running into a CEO of Stripe at a at a cafe. You know, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you guys raised just shy of uh, looks like from AngelList, just shy of a million dollars in March. We, we did, and we're in the middle of raising again. Actually, um, you guys, you guys know that running a payment startup isn't like running a running a SaaS company. There's a lot. There's a lot of money that goes that you can run through. So we're, we're in the middle of raising sort of a secondary seed round, uh, which is sort of the order of the day now. A lot of people raising secondary seed rounds and putting off the A round to try to get the valuation up. You don't um, have to put a label on it. <laughs> yeah, it's, kind of like, it's just, uh, it, it's the second round. Let's just call it that. So we're raising at about another million dollars right now. That should be closing in the next 60 days. And with that, what are you, do you guys, see your lo- I was just yep. going to ask, what are you guys hoping to accomplish with this, this capital? Yeah, we're, we're we're trying to get the this integration problem knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, we want we want to be we want to be able to to be where people need. We need to be able to provide what people need to integrate. And the second thing is to expand. Um, you know, and we have a number in mind we want to get to in terms of payment volume and in terms of number of businesses. So that, that's basically what we're trying to get. And, and the thing is, like, in terms of the interest that we get, and when we go and talk to virtually anybody in the in the industry, and we say, hey, this is what we're doing. They say. You know that's really interesting. I'm really interested in what you're doing. Some of them decide to move forward with integration. Some of them don't. But it's there's a tremendous amount of interest. But the thing is, just like any business, it doesn't matter how interesting it is. It doesn't matter how much people think it's cool and like want to you know want it to succeed. You're not really at product market fit until you're sort of you know and sort of until the business sort of is in um, really consistent and um, identifiable growth mode. So, I mean, that's really where we're trying to get. We're trying to get to the point where we know this kind of customer really needs Knox right now and they're integrating at this rate and, and uh, we're growing, you know, measurably, predictably and, and, um, and also in a way that is satisfying to our investors. So I think, I think you know, we, have to, we always have to focus on this internally in the office is like, hey, don't forget, product market fit is still a really important thing. Um, so that's, I mean, I, I would, if I were to sum it up, we're trying to we're trying to ensure that we've found product market fit, and um, that's that's what we're going to do with the money. So let's come to competition. Do you see any competition in your space specifically as to what you're offering right now today? So there's there's ver- there's essentially nobody doing um, this thing, but there's plenty of people circling the drain and doing things that are related to what we're doing, and that I think will be successful companies. So there's um, there's like the standard treasuries and the plaids of the world that are building the APIs into banks that are going to be really, really fast and efficient. And those are going to facilitate um, direct competitors to us or, or tangential competitors to us 
Um, but we don't necessarily think of them so much as competition as potential partners. I think they're really awesome. Um, then there's other people in the ACH world, um, the balanced payments of the worlds and, and stuff like that. I, I would I would really say um, if I look at the landscape, you know, five ten years from now, and I look at how payments are, I feel like there's going to be a way to make virtually feeless guaranteed payments on the internet. So if I were to really see um, competition uh, to the broad vision, it's it's going to be Bitcoin. Um, and my co-founder would disagree with me pretty vehemently on this, but I, you know, I think that if if the, if for whatever reason Bitcoin were to get the adoption and the mainstream uh, mainstream adoption um, that it needs, which personally I don't think is going to happen, but if it were, you know, I would be excited by that in so many ways because I think it would be a lot of what we're trying to do. On the other hand, um, it's hard to say what exactly is competition and what isn't because all of the major Virtually all of the major Bitcoin exchanges have reached out to us to try to help people buy and sell Bitcoin, uh, you know, because the money's got to go in at some point. Um, so honestly, a huge uh, we're not we're not we're by the way we're not working with Bitcoin companies right now. It's just not something we can do from a risk perspective. But I mean, it, it's potentially possible that Bitcoin could become huge and that Knox could power that growth. So this competition question is always uh, is always. It's always a little difficult to, to say because um, you know everyone who I say is potential competition is potential potential partner. Yeah, the it's a mucky mucky world. Abs- <laughs> yeah, the only ones I can say for absolutely for sure are competition and are not potential partners are Visa and Mastercard. We are not looking to work with Visa and Mastercard. We have no interest in working with them. We do not think uh, that. Yeah, those are the those are the ones that I would say for sure. Yeah, you talked about uh, you talked about risk. Uh, what, what's the vetting process for a merchant? I mean, obviously there is risk with a Bitcoin business. What would be the other businesses that you simply couldn't touch? I mean, are they the standard uh, go-to businesses that nobody wants to um, process payments for? No, we, we want to process payments for those businesses. Actually, um, okay. we have to we have to we have to do case by case basis. But good businesses that are responsible. Um, for example, we would love to process payments for Cindy Gallup at make Lo- makelovenotporn.com. I think her mission okay. is fantastic, but she's got porn in the title of her company, which means that uh, she can't even get a U.S. bank to take her business. So we can't um, actually send her money right now. But but we wouldn't want to process payments for like, you know, I won't give an example, but like some yeah. irresponsible adult uh, entertainment well, sites. All right, so, so you have adult businesses. Adult businesses are very, very difficult to get uh, credit card, uh, payment card processing in the United States. Um, yep. What's the barrier for you to accept those merchants? Is it your banking partners? Um, I mean, they already have a bank account somewhere in the U.S., right? They, they Could don't. they not use no, your system? No, they don't. Well, they, so that's, well there that's are. The I can tell you, there are definitely. I know personally, well, not because I'm a consumer, but I'm in payments. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, bank accounts with people who are adult-related uh, businesses. Now, if they oh, can get a, a checking account, can they use your service? Yeah, they, some of them could. Um, it, it, would, it would depend. So that's, case, that's a sort of a case-by-case basis thing. We're building a profile for what we would want to do there. Um, we're not serving anybody in that industry right this second, but we're easing our way into it. I, can't, I wish I could say uh, – I wish I could give some specifics on this, but we've got some, some pretty cool things in the works with that. Um, but it's going to be a case-by-case basis, and we're going to build a, a risk profile, you know, a profile of that. Um, but what, what I was saying about not having a bank account is like there are 
some, some of the more responsible um, businesses like Cindy Gallup that made love not porn, they don't have U.S. bank accounts because the only way to get a U.S. bank account in, being in that industry is to mislead a bank about what you're doing. Well, um, and, you know, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, what is going on now is uh, a number of very large banks have uh, uh, sort of misread Operation Chokehold, which is a uh, – a catch-all for trying to uh, delete certain business types from the entire financial system, uh, but there are banks that don't want to—they don't want to hang a banner in front of the bank, say, "Please bring your adult merch, uh, you know, your adult business to our bank." Uh, but there are banks that are not—I wouldn't say sympathetic; that they're neutral to uh, what somebody's doing as long as it's. Uh, seen as legal. So what it does is it creates sort of a culture because banks don't openly say that they want a certain type of questionable business in the minds of the morality uh, police. The uh, those It's assumed that there aren't banks that do it. And by the way, people who get these accounts, they feel like they want to roll up the sidewalk and nobody else can come in because they don't want a bad operator to mess up the fact that they're accepting, uh, you know, checks or payments, uh, merchant accounts, even at some of these banks, there's, there's about five very wow. small, I wouldn't call them very small banks, but medium sized banks that are actively accepting adult merchants and, uh, processing credit card payments and checking accounts without a problem. But I That's would be sick. absolutely certain that the consumer that walks into that bank has no idea. You know, and uh, that's the way it's been for quite a while. Uh, but it's gotten worse with uh, with uh, the most recent information uh, about you know major stars having their accounts, checking accounts being removed, even personal checking accounts being removed at the bank. So it's an interesting time. It's just you're kind of interfacing with the banking community, and I'm yep. just curious on how they will you know, extend their reach through your system? Will they say, hey, don't even accept one of those merchants because we don't want them coming through the system? I mean, has it been like yeah. that? It, it is like that, and but we're lucky enough to be able to take take a case-by-case -case basis to our banking partners. And that's sort of the exception, right? So they're, they, they don't want to tell their, you know, tellers, hey, take, you know, the people who <laughs> yeah. are just on the ground. Yeah, go ahead and take any, you know, but if it's a partner, um, and, you know, they have a reason to actually, you know, listen for five minutes and say, okay, this is somebody who's selling, you know, um, digital goods or, or porn or whatever it is. Um, but we think there was a business and actually doing a good thing. Here's why it, it can actually work. Whereas if you say, if you sort of give that leeway to you know, six, 600 people sitting behind desks at various branches, you're going to end up in a place that you probably don't want to be um, no. as a bank. So yeah. we would like to help, like to help them. Um, we would like to help extend the reach of, of people who can make payments. It's uh, we've actually had kind of an outpouring of of people reaching out to us and saying, "Hey, I've read your terms of service. Our terms of service says we can't do any of this stuff, just so as a default, you know, just as a default." Um, but we have people reaching out and saying, "Hey, if you ever do, you know, I think this is something that could actually help, you know, this kind of this kind of business or that kind of business actually take payments because Visa is never going to do it." Hmm. Cool. All right, Tommy, we are uh, about to, at the 30-minute mark. Um, we're going to hop offline for about 10 minutes on our side. Uh, listeners won't notice the difference as we'll cut this out, but we'll uh, come back and talk about some recent news in the payment industry. Um, so with that, let's cut. All right, guys, we're back for part two of Around the Coin, episode 22, this is. So we have two big announcements as of late. The acquisition of OpenTable 
for around $2 billion by Priceline and the exiting of David Marcus from PayPal. Uh, all exciting stuff. Brian, what do you think about this? This what's uh, David, Let's go with David first. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, eBay and PayPal are going to be around for a very, very long time. So in and of itself, one person leaving doesn't change a, a company. Even if the entire executive staff left, it would still be around. Uh, but David rep- represented a what I called the new PayPal, uh, this, this sort of reinvigorated, more aggressive, uh, maybe uh, much more focused uh, PayPal. And that leadership was so, uh, you know, uh, contagious. There were people that have been within PayPal for almost a decade or eBay, and they just brightened up when this guy came aboard and started talking about the changes. There were others that were there for a decade and said, oh, no, you know, my job, I gotta, I'm going to have to work now. I'm going to have to come into the office. But by and by, by long measure within PayPal, he was very, very highly regarded. And he started implementing changes quite rapidly, and he started moving up quite rapidly. And it took um, less than six months for people to start feeling extremely positive. Now, you got to remember, this took place on the backdrop of companies like Square, uh, Stripe, uh, you know, all these other companies that are sort of nipping at their uh, at their potential core businesses. And uh, PayPal was very late to the mobile payment space. You know, they were looking at it, but they were always just testing the waters. And they finally created their uh, their triangular card reader. I called it the Dorito chip, the which was which is almost a direct copy of. The Square Card Reader. Yeah, but the Square Card Reader was a direct copy of other card readers. So, you know, I, I I don't get into the game of who invented it. The guy that invented it did it almost 17 years before Square did. But, you yeah. know, that's another thing. What, what happened was, is what I've always warned any payment company, is that once the giant awakes, PayPal, they're going to control the market in a very massive way. There's not much you can do about it other than to watch where they step and don't be where, where they step. You know, you have to just really plan it out. And of course, the moment they came into the marketplace, they were very competitive on pricing, and they were very, very aggressive in converting existing PayPal merchants into utilizing their system because of the ecosystem. Uh, and uh, they are continuing to take market share from everybody. Uh, you know, and a lot of people don't report about it, but uh, PayPal here is, I would say, just about eclipsing where um, where Square is in the number of active uh, retail merchants. And right. uh, go ahead. Let me ask let me ask you a question. From a historic perspective, now that he has joined Facebook, what do you see happening? Turmoil. I I, I have people inside the company. And again I I love So we're talking about there. PayPal? Inside PayPal? Inside of PayPal, absolute turmoil because people saw there's a leadership vacuum. Anytime you take a leader out you know, it, there's a vacuum. And, you know, I understand what he wrote. And I understand that he said his mission was complete and he's moving on. But the reality is, in a perfect world, the guy would never leave the company. Something made him not want to stay. And what that is, is always going to be one thing. You know, it's the elephant in the room. Corporate culture. The corporate culture of an, a company that's been around for almost two decades. I mean, you 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 got to look at that and say, okay, what does that really mean? How How quickly can we move? How can we... How can uh, the market react to us and how can we react to the market? All those things are 
notoriously difficult. And uh, David's a relatively young guy, and he probably did mm. the calculus. He probably had a three-year lockup, and he was just at the three-year mark. And he That's a big ship to turn around, you know? Oh my gosh, you, you have to, you can't turn it around in the river. You got to go out into the ocean. You can't even go into the lake or the bay. You got to go way out in the ocean and turn it around. So the only way you can fix this uh, is, is Clayton Christensen's self-disruption. You almost have to break it apart into pieces. And politically, nobody wanted to see that at the high level of the company. And I'm not advocating the, the Carl Icahn reasoning for breaking apart the companies. I'm more looking at it from a competitive standpoint. Uh, eBay, PayPal can actually be five companies and it can all work together. I mean, they still have their same relationships, but they're managed as independent units. Uh, and uh, I think that breathing space of not having one central command uh, would would do very well. So, and, what, what, Brian, what's it like inside? So, right now, with the split between eBay, PayPal, seems like a pretty interesting um, dichotomy there. Do you think PayPal really wears the pants in the in the company structure? No, uh, eBay wears the pants and uh, the the management from that side, if you will. Uh, and yeah. it, and it's I think funny. we're seeing we're seeing snippets of that come out in in hindsight in all the articles and tweets yeah. now that Rocky is posting it that there was a corporate culture that was just not conducive with David. But you know, to be frank about this, I see this corporate culture in companies that are payment companies that are three years old. Uh, you know, this is just about leadership, and it is harder when you're a larger company. Uh, but I see small startups that are payment uh, companies that are having a similar type of crisis. They have a leadership vacuum. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing one thing one day, uh, thinking they're acting, but they're really reacting to the market. So the react reactionary sort of response coming from a startup, to me, is just as worrisome as the lack of you know, uh, you know, clarity and 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 definitive leadership at a at a larger company. Uh, I think it comes down to just really getting down to your roots and looking at who's my customer, why why do I exist in this marketplace? Am I am I here only because there's nothing else that's reasonably better, uh, mm. or am I really changing things? And I think what happens to any type of business is it goes through that long mid phase and. Uh, very, you know, there's, all, there's also another, another point that uh, quite a few people have highlighted. It's that the PayPal numbers are embedded within the eBay numbers. So we yes. really don't know which division within PayPal is actually making money or not making money or how much is eBay driving PayPal or vice versa. And that's no so accident. It, that's no accident. That, that, that's I'm from sure. day one. That's from, from day one because, you know, it's no secret that – uh, I think Elon said that uh, if PayPal was not acquired by eBay at the time, uh, they wouldn't be the PayPal mafia out in the street. They'd be the PayPal mafia in jail. I mean, <laughs> they were running yeah. a business that was a, essentially a pyramid business. And I mean, nobody wants to officially admit that, but they were losing money. They were they were really having a tremendous problem with uh, fraud. And they needed to be acquired. But hey, they walked away looking like geniuses. So that's right. But no one know, else remembers. No one else was back. So, right? so, so two minutes each, uh, Mike and Brian. What do you think David Marcus will achieve at Facebook? Brian, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, he's going to create a um, uh, a payment system embedded within the chat platform initially. Uh, I think as a public company, they have to clearly state what his job title and mission is going to be. Uh, and I think they. Uh, 
you know, tongue in cheek said, oh, it's just messaging. You know, that's all he wants to be in. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, this is a payment, um, uh, you know, a payment play. And they wisely are choosing the messaging platform because payments is a form of communication. It's messaging. Uh, it has been successful in China to a tremendous degree. We're going to see IPOs that are going to show us just how well that's working. So um, he's there to do payments. And I think he's going to do the things that he probably wanted to do uh, before. But there was so much legacy. And uh, and uh, so I think that's where they're going. So. That, yeah, it's a great, great perspective. Mike, Mike I, what about your, your I, I th- view? I think the X factor here that the people don't quite appreciate is Facebook has something that no other company does, no other payment company to any close extent, and that is the the proven unique identification. When I'm on Facebook, unlike any other platform, Google Wallet, Venmo, Square. Uh, PayPal, you know, I, you know, Facebook knows that I'm a human being, right? They have algorithms to detect how often I sign in, what I do. I'm not a robot. I have a unique ID. I have friends. So there's a lot of trust. And in payments, trust equals cost savings, right? So you can detect fraud. I think the perfect storm here is the unique identification component that Facebook owns, right? They have the OR, the, uh, the, the, Connect Facebook Connect and the authentication layer on top of that. So they virtually own the individual unique person on the internet. And they have, of course, WhatsApp. They acquired WhatsApp. So they now have the largest uh, chat platform on the planet. And on top of that, they have money transmitter licenses in 50 states. <laughs> so they have these sort of three perfect storms. We know exactly who you are. We know we you know we have the largest chat messaging system on the planet and we have the ability to send payments to anyone. So David Marcus and, is and coming not, here with a playbook. Mention, not to mention they have behavior insights. Yes. Yes. You know you can't miss that part. Yeah. This is a you're absolutely right on target. And I don't uh, think so Mike. and I don't think so. No one else has such behavior. How about you, Faisal? Yeah, so give us your I, I've been advocating you I've been advocating payments that Facebook will get into payments for at least four years now. Yeah. Uh, yeah you my thing is my thing is I think yeah, I think he's one of the very few people in history who can make history. Uh, very yeah. few people get this chance in their lifetime. He will have an opportunity to roll out a payment platform. One of the first things you said, you know, Brian, you were on the spot, is we love to communicate. Yeah. Uh, PayPal doesn't have a, a, a communication app. No one else does. Not Visa, not MasterCard. No one else does. One of the first things I do if I get to know you, I will communicate with you. And with the messaging platform, adding a payment app on top, adding, adding shopping sites and coupons and P2P payments, B2B payments. It's, I mean, the world is his oyster, literally. And I think he will roll it out. I think he will roll it out uh, the same way he's done it in PayPal. He will go after the low-hanging fruits first, which is U.S., Canada, U.K., some parts of Europe. The rest of the world will scream bloody murder. I will too in (laughs) Pakistan, you know. Uh, But I... I think that it, he's going to go with the mass in mass first and, and, and take it from there on. Faisal, how far up the chain does he go with, with Facebook? Being the enormous size of Facebook, unlike you know uh, Tommy, who we just talked to at Knox, they have the ability to compete with Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover. Do they do a big play there in issuing a credit system? Or I imagine just to start, it's going to be built on top of those giants. I think, I think it'll be built on top of the rails. They will not yeah. fight. The Neiman. They will not fight the monsters, the big ones. They could in the future, yeah. though. They will. Not, they will dance. They will dance with the Godzillas. They will dance with the bears. They will not fight them. I am one hundred percent confident of that. Man, if they don't, who will? 
That's right, right. <laughs> you know what's really funny? When I first heard Jack Dorsey was starting Square, I remember the first tweet. I had one of my friends call me up. Um, I was immediately in touch with you know the group and started think, theorizing that, wow, Twitter and payments, beautiful idea. That platform, if they built it together... They could really dominate the world because I've always seen payments as a form of communication. And then I started seeing Jack saying that. And I said, okay, mm. this is going to rejoin one day. And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop in 2010. Never happened. Never came. And, no. and, and I talked to a lot of my colleagues there and I talked to a couple of founders and I kept bringing it up. And, and it was always shot down. No, we don't see the connection. Well, let, me, like, let, me give, let me give you another what? monitor. What are you talking let about? Let me give you a perspective on another monetization layer that we've been talking about for a long, long time, which is the micropayments. Yeah. A like, a like could be worth one cent today, you know? A share yeah. could be worth one cent. So they, they suddenly have the ability to load wallets uh, or your Facebook account with money and be able to, you know, have a like, pay for it, etc. Paid content could be a huge thing over here. Uh, and access to paid content, you know, would be very simple as simply liking it and contributing a cent or two to it. And I think that's that could be a very, very unique uh, proposition for them. I mean, you, you can imagine how many billions of likes happen on Facebook every day, and even if a small percentage was monetized, you can you can you can. It do can the change math. advertising completely because you can actually compensate somebody for visiting. Right. So I'm an advertiser in the current model. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm paying per click. I'm paying whatever, uh, per view. Mm. I can actually compensate somebody to do a behavior if I have the payment platform and the micropayment system built in together. And to me, that's the ultimate Google killer. I mean, everybody's looking for that. How can I get bigger than Google in advertising? And I've always said for, for almost a decade and a half that direct compensation models to consumers, when that is perfected with a micropayment system, you're going to completely mm. change advertising because we're going to be rewarded for going to see an, uh, an advertisement. You know, one thing that's working for him and people are sort of overlooking the fact is Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. Is this young guy who knows the space very well, quite well indeed, in fact, and he's going to give David Marcus the elbow room that he needs, the experimental platform that he needs to roll it out. And I and think he's a firm he's a firm believer in what can radically change the. Yeah, he probably he probably listens to this together. podcast. Yeah, that's what that's where he gets it. <laughs> Yeah, just putting those two guys together, I think, is phenomenal. I, 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 I'm not even going to try to predict all of the different ideas that are going to come from that because you're, you're putting together somebody with a tremendous amount of experience. I mean, you got to remember, Dave worked with almost all the carriers around the world building Zong. And, you know, if, if you can get through the minutia of working with the, you talk about really bad cultures. I mean, some of these carriers, the cultures are 45 years old, maybe even 100 years old because of the vestige of the old, you know, uh, landline phone companies in some countries. And he found a way to create a payment system uh, with these carriers. And now, you know, with that experience, that and this is a part that I think a lot of the media elite that are writing about this really miss the fact that he's already created communication channels with all of these different parts of the world. Facebook isn't isn't just looking at the U.S. They're looking at the international, uh, you know, yeah. the WeChat market uh, that they're. Creating. What about what about what about people from PayPal? No one has actually come on board with him. Do you think that will happen, or do yeah. you think he's? Yeah. He's a I loner think, in that space. No, I think I think you're going to see a team 
slowly depart and move to Facebook as it becomes more materialized. Listen, there's incredible talent in, in, in PayPal. Uh, there really is. And, and I think there are some great people that are going to rise above and rise up. Maybe this is what they needed as a wake-up call to the board of directors to give uh, more autonomy uh, to the leadership at PayPal. Uh, it, that's the only thing it's going to take. It requires a complete reinvention of the company. And uh, if you've been there for a decade, that's scary. I mean, who wants their job to be messed up? I mean, but the fact is, it's going to be messed up whether you do it or your competitor does it. You make your choice. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, read about classic disruption. And I think that's what Dave was trying to do there. That was the idea he was trying to implement. I mean, he put out a memo that essentially says, if you're not using our products or services, maybe you should yeah, leave. Yeah, I don't want you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, and, that and, was and, pretty and, strong, and it, you know. But it's actually a nice thing because what it's saying to you as a human being, that if you don't really believe in this in your heart, then you you're here? really not bringing everything here. And, there, and, and you got great talent. And you can probably bring it to something else. And maybe that thing will be what you use every day. Maybe you should be, uh, you know, selling basketballs at a sports shop or something, or maybe not. So, kind of like so all closing, those. Closing thoughts on David Marcus very quickly. What do you think was going to happen in the next, let's say, six to 12 months? Well, my personal feeling is we're going to start seeing him build uh, an incredible platform uh, for payments. Do, do you think we'll see a product in that time frame? I bet you it's about four to six months out. They're gonna start. They're gonna start leaking. You know how the Google Wallet distributed, where they had yeah. the you know sort of you have to receive a payment in order to send a payment, and you know I think that went well for them. I imagine Facebook would do a similar thing. Mm. Um, right. Brian, Brian, I'd love to hear real quick. What, what what is the reason he left? We didn't talk about the why. Why did he leave? I, only, I think it's only in the mind of David at the end of the day and in the mind of Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I think you can pretty much look just, I don't want to use insiders, but I, just look from the outside. You have this very dynamic individual who came in there with the notion that he was going to reasonably change things uh, in a very aggressive manner. And I think he did a lot of that, but I can't agree with him that mission is complete. Um, not by a long shot. Do you think there was internal executive sort of drama going on at PayPal, eBay? Maybe that that could have been a driver. You don't even have to, you you don't even have to be a study of business to know that there was a dynamic. versus the new. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Because listen, if you've been doing a job for a decade and all of a sudden people are saying, now you got to do something else and everything seems to be okay. You come in there, you do your, your, your 45 minutes and you go to the coffee, you know, pick up your coffee. Then you do another 45 minutes, you shuffle papers and then maybe you go and grab a, a snack and then do another 45 and then you grab lunch for two hours. I mean, after a while you get in this pattern. And I, I go to companies all the time and observe this as an outsider, as a consultant. They say, what's wrong with the company? And I go, you know, your head salesperson made two phone calls uh, by 2 o'clock. And then after 2 o'clock, there's nothing out of most people. Uh, California culture specifically. Now, here, get this. This I see at startups within two or three years. Within two or three years. And everybody says, oh, that's why you just keep messing around and ch- changing things. No, it's because you really need leadership on many levels. And a lot of people call the, these people middle managers. And I'm not advocating putting layers of management. I'm talking about having people that are 
constantly interacting and constantly looking at what the mission is. Why are we doing this on a daily basis? Those are the companies that are always successful. It's why IBM for decades were successful. It's why Xerox for decades were successful. Everybody saw the forward-facing, you know, white shirt and tie sales rep. But when they got back into the office after making 30 uh, visits in a day sometimes, you know, uh, they actually were interacting with the engineering staff, specifically Xerox. The, the sales reps would come back in and interact with the engineering staff and say, you know, I would sell more copiers if I had this. Got to you know, got to use your own product. I mean, that's yeah, the that's the it. secret. Yeah, it's, it hurts me when uh, when I'll go to Microsoft and see people using the Mac. But that's a whole nother. Oh, mm-hmm. That's a heartbreak. Faisal, that's a heartbreak. Faisal, what is your what do you what do you think is going to happen in the next three to six months over at Facebook? Think they'll release it? Um, I think I think six is too early. Maybe six to twelve month mark, we probably see a product come out. Mm-hmm. Sounds uh, about right. Open table. So open <laughs> open table. <laughs> My that's God, that's huge. 2. I would 6 say that billion. was almost as shocking to everybody. Uh, you know, a number of us saw it coming. Uh, you know, that Open Table would merge with something else. Uh, but I think it was shocking just as much as uh, David leaving uh, PayPal, because a lot of a lot of people forgot what Priceline was about and just how huge they are outside of the Bay Area. You know, because they're not a you know a hot startup, and they're not you know you know, funding rounds and, you know, IPOs, it's already done. And they've already and they had the patents. They have this so huge the, thing. The thing that surprised me was that the valuation was just incredible. They acquired Kayak in 2013, the Priceline Group, for $2.1 billion. Yeah. And to put a $2.6 billion price tag on OpenTable, which, you know, coming, of course, from my own, you know, one data point, I don't use it that much. I guess maybe it was a little, you know, it seemed yeah. like... Actually, they underpaid for like kayak. They underpaid, no, they underpaid for uh, for, uh, for Open Table. Open Table's worth significantly more uh, than that. Really? Was that the uh, dis- disparity of uh, Open Table to to, to well, sell now? Uh, well, I I can tell you that what Priceline is going to bring to Open Table is an international uh, uh, community. L- let's talk about how so- you know how hard it is. A mic uh, to actually sell a product because you actually went out and sold it and didn't get paid for clicks and hope that everybody, you know, this lines up because you know you're you're Mike Townsend and and everybody knows you're famous and you know you went out and sold it right. Open Table had an incredible sales force. They went out into the field and they convinced restaurants to do something that they never were even thinking about before, and that is to allocate their tables to a group of uh, you know a group of customers that may already be their own customers and and to you know almost self disrupt and they did that on a level that was unprecedented Nobody- I th- I, I, it was amazing it was just such an incredible grind they were able to accomplish selling to selling you know, to restaurants is is you know extremely difficult is, right? um yeah, it just it's amazing. And I, reading some of the stories behind it, yeah, Brian Feisel, these guys, it really came down to the wire. You know, they if you look back at their story, they were only, you know, they were they were right on the fence of of going into bankruptcy um, yeah. and essentially wrapping the whole thing up. It's and, a hero's journey. It's a it, but it was built on the back of who? Sales oh, reps. Yeah, absolutely. On sales reps. And and when I go to the Bay Area and I and I wind up hanging out with all these people that want to start companies that are business to business. You know, we talk about squares and, you know, stripes even. And, mm. and they don't get it. They just don't get it. They go, my, my technology is going to do it. And there's never been a single company, including Hewlett Packard, the company that essentially started 
the Bay Area uh, well, startup community. The difference, the difference, they, Brian, they is they built it on sales reps. They built it on sales reps, but they they actually they actually brought a piece of hardware into a restaurant, and their value proposition was: we're going to bring more people in, a dollar a seat. It's a no brainer for a restaurant. Sure. But they actually put a piece of heart, and this is where the cash flow problems yes. were, occurred in the early days. You know, if you're dropping off a a piece of heart, this is a computer right there. You know, it's a separate entity than your point of sale system. It's extremely expensive, but it is an easier sale if you give this away than integrating and replacing a point of sale system. Yeah, anytime exactly. you have to replace and and sort of erase previous knowledge of how things work, it's much more difficult. And I, I find it the converted here yeah. because because you cannot you cannot get that uh, that calculus to take place. Not. You can't you can't get a merchant to do ten things at one time when you're trying to sell them something. The best you can do is get them to do one thing at one time. And I know that breaks hearts of technologists. So if you're going to tell them you want them to use an iPad, that's the one thing. But if you want them to use the iPad and for it to be the POS system, that's two things. And if you want it to be the payment system, that's three things. <laughs> yeah, they just have- you know because you have to realize it's not three things. It is the three things in addition to the hundred other things that they do. That's you know, right. That's so. I think that's X factor. What so, I found interesting here, Brian uh, Faisal, is the sort of it almost felt like a little bit of uh, repercussion, or I should say, you know, acknowledgement of the TripAdvisor acquisition recently yes. of yes, the yes. You know, similar mm-hmm. platform, mm-hmm. the European platform. Um, I'm going to pronounce this terribly, uh, Lafourche. Better it, than me. Is that how you would say it, Faisal? You'd probably know. You're better I wouldn't know. linguistic. <laughs> I can do it with my Jersey accent, but I ain't, ain't going to do well. But no, listen, table reservations are just the beginning. Uh, this is about food ordering. And anybody that's going to be in, and you've done this with uh, before, anybody that's going to be in ordering systems and, and uh, reservation systems should really take a step back and reevaluate what they're doing. And, and we got Square jumping into food ordering. Good luck competing mm. with uh, OpenTable. OpenTable's food ordering system, and, and uh, I guess it's still an alpha, is phenomenal. It's, it's already using the, the tried-and-true relationship uh, that OpenTable has with the merchant. It's a no-brainer addition. And, uh, of course, they have wrapped in payment systems. You can walk in right now at an OpenTable uh, reservation and walk out without ever doing anything. Basically, you walk in, you're already prepaid. You already pre, it's, it's an Uber experience. And, mm. uh, this is really important because there's more aspects to, uh, you know, the hospitality in- industry than most people realize. This is going to expand. I mean, let's look at this to reality. A lot of uh, the hotels that are on Priceline have in, uh, in hotel dining, you know, and imagine how quickly. Millions of restaurants are going to appear and open table that are inside of hotels or related to the hotel property. Some resort hotels might have four or five restaurants. Boom, five restaurants appear on open table. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this inventory, it, it, it's such a brilliant connection. And we always, you know, we, a group of us that do a consulting for this, we've always imagined that open table will be pieced together with something as as off the wall. They, they really are, Express, you know, Brian. They're they're not what they're not. They're, I don't believe their their mobile ordering component is interesting at all. I really think it you is. Haven't the, seen the latest version, but uh, there's just a lot of competition. They don't have their moat. You know, they have their moat for, for for reservation systems. All right. Well, look at look at what if I already have the relationship with the restaurant as as open table? Do you want to go to a, somebody else's ecosystem and now have two relationships? 
or the, the relationship that you know and does okay versus the relationship that requires you to get an iPad, uh, download an app, r- rip out your entire system just so that you can do an ordering system. I mean, do you see the flaw in that? I mean, I wish uh, here, I here, here's how, here's else, how I see it. You know, the, the merchants will look at each piece as just a functional operating component to what they do. You know, this this box right here, this is for reservations. This box right here, this is my point of sale. This box right here, this is where I swipe. How credit many cards. boxes? How you know, many this boxes? one is. You know, I, I think the, the, I, how many boxes before you start consolidating? That's what I'm saying. And and ordering ordering uh, ahead. And reservations are much closer tied uh, than than I think. Well, look, a lot. You know, the vast majority of all online ordering systems, everything from, you know, if you look at like uh, uh, Grubhub and Seamless, which are now merged, and sure. Order Ahead, all these guys, they all send orders through fax. Yes. So there's really not a need for another entity, another box or an iPad, as you put it. You really just need the order to come in through the fax and. You know, whoever is the biggest market share wins. Sure. So I don't. I don't really see the advantage there no, in Open Table. I, I, you know, I'm not well, saying. Okay. I'm okay. saying that they're going to eliminate minute, them. One minute <laughs> left. So let's have your wrap down thoughts on Open Table. Uh, well, I think it is. Um, it is a healthy thing. I think it is um, uh, what I ultimately would have seen. I mean, we talked about why they did this and. Mm. It, the reality is it's going to expand the platform uh, to an international market. It's going to allow properties that are on the Priceline system to enhance uh, services by rendering not only a room but a table. Uh, it may, in fact, wind up becoming a CRM system for some of the smaller properties. I mean, if you really mm. look at what Priceline can do is they have a reservation system that smaller properties are using, which is phenomenal. Uh, so if you own two hotels or two motels, you don't necessarily go need to go into a big chain. And now you have the ability to book off tables and you got to always understand the food discovery aspect of open table is not as big as Yelp but it's still there and some of these hotel properties don't have really high Yelp profiles this can help bring more profits to a, a specific facility so it's a it's a win-win situation i was betting that american express might be one of the mergers or acquirers in the future uh priceline was in my top 10 though yeah, but, uh, my my thought, thought my thought here is that it's not it's not about it's not about Open Table. It's about the Priceline Group and the uh, the collection of companies and services that they are buying up. Right? If you look at Booking dot com for hotels, Kayak and Priceline for airlines, uh, RentalCars.com. So they've they've accumulated really the whole experience of travel. Right? And if you think about what happens when I travel, I book a flight, I get a hotel, I get a car, I look at the restaurants. They're sort of they're sort of paving the way for your whole travel experience. And I just think Open Table was the the next one in line. Right? When you want to book a hotel, when you want to book a place to eat, right? In some country or some city you've never been you know open table is going to work and i think they were just right in line and i look at it and say what's the next one right when i go and i want to uh travel somewhere and i want to have everything lined up you know they have they have all the dots there but i think priceline group is the real story here and what they're oh, going yeah. to you know collectively offer as a service to to customers how about Fies- you faisal in your part of the world G- give I, us a, give I, us some input i have i have zero Access or visibility to something like Open Table in my part of the world. First of all, do they have it? Do they have part? Do they have Open Table in Pakistan or anything? No, no, no. no, This is one of the reasons. Not in this region at all. How about Priceline? Uh, Have you ever used it uh, in your in your travels? In the U.S., yes, but not here. It's not available here. 
Interesting. It's available, it's available in Europe. It's available in parts of South Asia, Southeast Asia. No, no German but companies not, cloning it in, in your region? <laughs> <laughs> Rocket Internet, you mean? Yeah. No, not yet. Not yet. No, not God, yet. it's got to happen, huh? Make that it call. Is. Make that call Monday morning, Faisal. You'll be the leader there. <laughs> I know. I know. I should. Well, gentlemen, that's a wrap, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you Wonderful, for having guys. me. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 